I toyed oh, with the idea of getting a green screen. I was like, that's too much. No, 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 no. We're, we're not. We're <laughs> so not. You can, can make it look like we're, you know, doing this interview from the beach or whatever. Yeah, that'd be sweet. <laughs> <laughs> or from, uh, or from St. Peter's Square. Wait, right. <laughs> Their budget just went up. Yeah. <laughs> Bob McFarland, thanks for joining us again on this right first on. first episode of our vocations series. So let's talk about the priesthood itself. This this episode is what is a vocation to the priesthood. So we're going to be talking about all, the, all these different aspects of it. Um, but let's start by asking a, a simpler question, and that is, what's so great about the priesthood? Why why do we need priests? Well, the you know the man has a a natural, even a natural necessity to practice the virtue of religion. He is created by God and needs to honor God. And, you know, man is both body and soul. So there are those interior acts of religion by which we, we offer our, our adoration um, to God or thanksgiving to God, etc. And that you know, has to be a truly human thing has to express itself outwardly as well. So it's, it's uh, you know, we, we express our interior sentiments by exterior signs. And the most important of those exterior signs is the offering of sacrifice. So this this idea of sacrifice that we find you know everywhere in the the ancient world, um, and that we find in the in you know Holy Scripture in the Old Testament, um, in you know in, in the pre Mosaic times the offering of sacrifice and then um, codified uh, very particularly in the Mosaic Law, and that passing into the 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 New Testament priesthood right, giving giving way to the, the priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Right. And man's practice of religion, in addition to having to be outward, is must be corporate because man is a is a social being. He has to adore God with his body, with his soul, with all the the aspects of his nature, and that includes the, the social aspect. So that he, you know, we worship God as as a society. Um, and you know, in in every primitive culture, and in you you find this corporate practice of religion, um, and any. Uh, religion, the, the ancient religion, you, the most important act is, is sacrifice. And the priest is the one who offers sacrifice. And so the, the notions of priesthood and sacrifice are codependent. You know, the, the priest is the one who offers sacrifice. One who offers sacrifice is a priest. That's the, uh, the, it's, it's essential nature. Um, and the priesthood belongs to the natural law because of that. And he is a mediator, right? He's designed to, to bring, to God, man's homage, and then to communicate to man the the blessings uh, of God and and the truth from God. So, firstly, it's about it's about offering sacrifice, and you know that again, it's in the natural law. And then, in, in the time of Moses, we have Aaron and the sons of Aaron um, who received the priesthood from God through Moses, and that's passed on throughout the Old Testament in the Old Testament priesthood. God mandating the manner and the times of the sacrifices, but that being a temporary office, it gives way to the priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Right? And he, he is mediator by nature. He's both God and man. He's the, the perfect um, bridge builder, pontifex, uh, as we say, between um, humanity and, and, and God. 
And so he becomes a, a priest by nature, the moment of his incarnation. He doesn't have to be ordained. Um, and then he offers the most perfect sacrifice, which is uh, of himself. Right? He's the victim, the offering itself, his own body and blood on the cross. And he's the priest. He is the one making the offering. And in heaven, he continues to mediate between us and, and his heavenly father. And then this priesthood of the New Testament, the, the, the priesthood of the Catholic Church, is the participation in and continuation of that priesthood of Jesus Christ. It's, it's nothing other. It's the same thing when we say a priest is an, an altar Christus. That's first and foremost what, what, what we mean, right? that he does these things in the name of, with the power of, in the person of uh, Jesus Christ himself. So he offers the same sacrifice uh, of our Lord on the cross. Right? It's the same, same victim the body and blood of, of God made man, Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's the same priest, Jesus Christ, although working through the, the ministerial priest, the ordained priest. This power was, was, was conveyed to the apostles at the Last Supper um, when the sacrament of uh, the Eucharist was instituted, as well as the sacrament of holy orders. Do this for a commemoration of me, as we have in, in the Gospel of St. Luke, and the, the passing on the power to do uh, what our Lord himself did at the Last Supper. So to, to make that sacrifice of the cross present sacramentally. Could we say it's, it's somewhat similar to what we looked at with the sacrament series that we just finished wrapping up, Father, where all of the, the, the six other sacraments other than Holy Eucharist all have some sort of a basis or either they're calling towards or they're, they're pulling from uh, the idea of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass of the Eucharist being the preeminent sacrament. Same sort right. of thing here. The, the priesthood is dependent on that. And yes, Father, right. you do other things, you do other, you know, you perform other sacraments, but it is primarily your priesthood is about sacrifice. It's, it's ordered entirely to that in the same way the history of the world is all ordered to uh, the sacrifice of the cross. So it's it's the central event of, of human history. It's meant to be the central event in all of our lives. The sacrifice of the altar is that same sacrifice that we're able to uh, assist at and, and receive from um, by our, our uh, participation at Mass, whether... Uh, for for an ordained priest offering it, or for the faithful uh, assisting at that offering. Sure. So can we can we look at, at what would happen in an alternate universe if if there were no priests around? Right. So there, it, if the the priesthood ceases to exist, then of course we we lose that central act of uh, of our religion, which is the uh, the offering of the holy sacrifice. We we lose out on on the the principal sacrament, which is that of the Holy Eucharist, and we lose most of the other sacraments as well. So um, the priest is the, the ordinary minister of, uh, of um, extreme unction as well. Um, he's the ordinary minister of baptism. He's the, uh, he blesses marriages. The bishop is a, is a priest and he's, he um, ordains in, in, in holy orders. The bishop is the ordinary minister of confirmation, but a simple priest can do it. Um, under certain circumstances. So without, without the priesthood, we would have um, only two sacraments possible, baptism and matrimony, and those would not have the solemnity or the blessings that they, they have uh, when a, a priest is present. Can we look at, at holy orders or, or the priesthood and the lay state or the married state, and can we compare them in any way in other words is it is it better to be a priest is it better to be married is it you know how do we rank those things is it possible to 
Well, the, the I mean, the priesthood is the it's the greatest dignity given to to human beings, and that doesn't mean that the priest is necessarily holier or better in in the the sense of being more loved by God uh, than than all of the laity. But it is it, it's a it's a tremendous grace. It's a it's a it's a special gift from God that that raises the the priest to this this dignity whereby he he's participating in the 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 central acts of our religion in a um, in a remarkable way. So we can say y- yeah. yes, you know that it is objectively uh, a, a better, a higher calling. Um, the priesthood, and I'm not. I became a priest because of that. I'm not saying that just because I'm a priest. <laughs> right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, let's look at what the what the priest does then. Um, we've already talked about the priest performing the sacrifice, being the minister of the sacrifice. Um, but what else does the does a priest do? So he, you know, he, he, of course, he's he's the the principal minister of the of the sacraments, but he has to prepare the faithful to receive those sacraments as well. And so we say that the the priest has a threefold power uh, to teach, to rule, to sanctify. So he okay. um, he's commissioned by God to to teach. Right? It's an office of the priests, even in the the Old Testament, um, to uh, to teach the law. Um, so the priest has the power to to speak in the very person of of Jesus Christ when he administers the sacraments. You know, at the uh, the the mass, he says, "Not this is Christ's body, but this is my body." So he's in the in the very person of Christ. He's speaking to bring about that sacrament. In the confessional, he doesn't say, "For therefore Christ absolves you." He says, "Therefore I absolve you." Uh, again, Christ speaking through him. So it, it stands to reason that if he can speak in, in the person of Christ, he can speak in Christ's name to to teach the the truth brought to us by Jesus Christ um, you know, to the faithful. So that he he has this special role to to be teacher, right? and we see that in our Lord's command to the apostles: "Going therefore, teach ye all nations." Um, and that's the apostles are priests and indeed indeed bishops, um, and they're you know, passing that, that power on throughout the centuries to, uh, to other priests. Okay. So in this, in this office of teaching, there are other people who may take it on. There are laymen or lay women who may take it on, lay people who may take, take on this role, Sunday school catechism or teaching right. in the school, but they are, they are performing that in your place. You are essentially giving them the authority to do that. It all comes through, through the priesthood. Right, so they're they're the lay assistants, which are you know necessary, you know even religious orders that that are dedicated to teaching. They there's strict dependence upon the priesthood of our Lord, um, and you know it's it's a job that belongs specifically to the hierarchy that the the, the churches, as reiterated in its in its teaching um, throughout the centuries. Okay, apart from the teaching power, you have the the ruling or, or governing power. You know it says in the. The, the Roman Pontifical, the book containing the ceremonies of, of ordination, the office of the priest is to govern, um, which doesn't mean that it's the job of, your, of the priest to micromanage anyone's life, um, but he's meant to lead as a, as a shepherd. You know, we use that that image all the time. Our Lord used it himself. Um, the, the priest is meant to you know direct souls away from danger towards towards the good, um, to say no, don't do that. Yes, do this to help them in order to to reach their their uh, their goal. You know, and, and our, our Lord uh, or God makes makes known to us his will through our legitimate superiors and in, in matters pertaining to to the faith to religion the priest is is le- the legitimate superior and again this is something that you are as a priest when you're ruling you are ruling not because 
Father McFarland is better than any of the rest of us, you are right. sharing again in that power of the priesthood of Christ. Right. And those are the you know, things that we have to remember, too, because it's, it's a tendency, particularly now when so many people have been betrayed by priests who have forgotten their, their, uh, their mission, that you know, the priest is not just a sacrament machine. I, just, I can just show up on Sunday, get my absolution, attend my mass, and receive my Holy Communion. And other than that, you know, I, can, I can step away from the priest. You know, again, it's, it's, it's not true. We, we are in that strict dependence on, on the priesthood for our salvation uh, in the administration of the sacraments, but also in the, the government of our souls, right? which is part of what takes place in the, in the confessional. You know, the, the priest isn't just giving, at least he shouldn't be, just giving you absolution, but is also supposed to guide you and, and help you to avoid the occasions of sin, to, to remind you of the necessity of, of prayer, to overcome temptation, etc. Um, you know, to help govern your soul, again, away from evil and towards good. Uh, and that's, that is part of his office as the office has been established by Jesus Christ himself. Sure. And then we have the third point, sanctify. Right. So to, to sanctify, and that really is fundamentally, most of all, administering the sacraments uh, itself. So we are, we're all meant to live, every, every Catholic is meant to live the, the life of Christ, to have our life be a continuation of his. And that requires sanctification, which is the application of, of the, the fruits of, of Christ's sacrifice. So the priest administers the sacraments. He also uh, is minister of the sacramentals. You know, he can bless your scapulars and your rosaries and, uh, and the like. Um, as well as to perform the, the liturgy, the, the divine office, um, all those uh, other um, things in the ritual. Um, so, you know, he's, he is, as uh, Pius XI points out, he's, he's appointed the, the dispenser of the mysteries of God, okay, so for the mm-hmm. benefit of the, of the mystical body uh, of Christ. Okay? Um, so that's, it, it's, it's not for his own benefit, but to, to be able to, to help all of the faithful to receive from the, the mysteries of Christ and, and to attain their eternal salvation. Let's start mm-hmm. to look a little bit, Father, at Holy Orders itself, and not so much the ceremony, but um, who should be approaching the sacrament of Holy Orders. So mm-hmm. there are some, some things that are necessary. There are some things that are not necessary. Can you right. help us out with that? Well, uh, we can say, firstly, for what's, what's necessary for... To be for a person to be validly ordained uh, in the okay. first place the the subject to be ordained must be male um, that's you know in the church uh, women are not to speak teach or rule over men the New Testament's quite clear on that um, and Christ chose men to be his apostles so that's an apostolic tradition uh, if people have problems with that they can take them up with Jesus Christ but that's the practice of the Catholic Church because that's what our Lord himself decided so we don't we don't overrule him because of um, our popular current liberal mindset so you just men. pulled out the trump card didn't you <laughs> <laughs> fair enough okay uh, the subject also must be baptized you if you're if you're not baptized you can't receive any other sacrament validly apart from baptism um, so it's the gateway to the other sacraments if someone receives holy orders without being baptized it's invalid also the subject has to have the intention at least the habitual intention to to be ordained to become a priest to uh, receive the priesthood um, and that's if he's if he's an adult we won't get into the question of which would be gravely illicit of, of ordaining a a child before the age of reason. Um, one cannot make someone a priest against his will. You know, if, uh, 
if the bishop really thinks somebody should be a priest and you know sneaks into his room at night and and says the words of uh, <laughs> <laughs> of ordination with his hands on his head that uh, it wouldn't be valid if he didn't want to be a priest. Um, so doesn't work. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then so those are those are pretty simple. But what's more interesting is the question of what's necessary for to be ordained licitly. What's what are the the qualifications um, that that one should have? Um, and, so, and just real quick, Father, just to just to differentiate, when we're talking about validity, we're talking about the sacrament happens. Yeah. When we're talking about licit licity, uh, that's it's legally yeah. or licity. Sorry, yeah. I was I was screwed that up. <laughs> um, that's that means it's a legal. It's done legally. It's done. Uh, within the bounds correct, of the rules of the church. Correctly. Yeah. So that no one, okay. no one is committing a sin or making a mistake or the like in, in, uh, in doing it under such conditions. So, okay. so one has to be, you know, have no irregularities, censures or impediments. So for example, if, you know, if you've been excommunicated because you're, you left the church, for example, um, it would not be licit to, to proceed to ordination before that was rectified. Um, you know, it, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, impediments later on. Um, also, okay. one should have the, the character of confirmation in order to so I've received the sacrament of confirmation before being ordained. The will to live the life uh, of a cleric, which you know, so living as a priest, um, living a priestly life. You come across all kinds of strange things, guys who, you know, these days, guys who found some priest to ordain them, but they're still living with their wife and kids and found a bishop to ordain them, still living with their wife and kids and, you know, saying mass on Sunday or waiting for the end times to exercise their ministry. And that would be an illicit ordination because there's no intention to to uh, to live the life of, of a cleric, of a priest. Um, okay. And then there are uh, qualifications that the church gives. And you know these are for the for the priesthood itself, not necessarily for for entering the seminary. Um, and the first one okay. is actually not one from the 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 church uh, as such. It's not defined this way, but it's it's something that I think is very important and something in my work as vocations director. I've I've seen the problems of it uh, being being lacking, and that's that's simply uh, manliness. And when mm. I say manliness, I mean two things: maturity and and virility. So maturity, you know, we live in a world where, where perpetual adolescence is, is kind of an ideal, you know, the, the, the man who's a full grown man, but, but more or less acts like a boy. And, um, you know, a priest needs a sense of responsibility and he has to have that, that fidelity to his duties and a certain degree of, of independence in, in the right sense. You know, he, he has to be able to do things for himself, you know, he, before he can do things for others, you know, if for, a young man who can't buy his own groceries or who needs to call his mom before he makes any big decision, the priesthood is not for him. Right? And you come across, unfortunately, these, these pious young men who have been coddled by usually their mothers, um, who are just woefully unprepared for the, to be a priest, you know, you, nice, nice kid, but just, there's no way, you know, he's, he's, he's got to be a man before he can be a priest. Um, he's right. got to, to, to reach a, to be able to function as an adult. And a, a pre, the priesthood is not a place where people who can't function as adults can go to hide. That's a disaster. And then when I say virility, and it doesn't, it's not a matter of being physically strong or into sports or drinking beer or smoking cigars or those other things, you know, superficial things we associate with, with virility, uh, but strength of character, right? this, this capacity to deny oneself in pursuit uh, of a goal. 
you know, we are soft in our, in our days. We need to, to combat that tendency in us to a soft and easy and comfortable life. Right? And the, the priest has to, you know, he has to be a man. He has to tell people no, uh, when that's hard. He has to be able to do out without the, the comforts and the pleasures of, of married life. You know, there are times where he where he is lonely. Um, you know, there are there are times where he uh, he really has to sacrifice himself to get up in the middle of the night and uh, and go to the the um, the bedside of someone who's dying. Um, you know, handle difficult personalities. Every parish has them. Um, to you know, challenging situations of uh, you know awkward things, you know um, between people, family situations, you name it. He's he's got to be able to to do that, you know. And we and you know we don't all sort of roll out of the seminary entirely ready to go for all of those things I've just described. Uh, we grow into that role, but we have to have especially that capacity to deny ourselves and to and to to pursue our our duties and responsibilities in spite of the the pains and inconveniences and annoyances um etc right so so if you have if you have someone entering the seminary or or someone that you're talking to who has never made it through lent with any sort of you know sticking to any sort of resolutions or never wants to make any sacrifices that's kind of a red flag at least for you father if you're if you're counseling this person yeah but and you know and, and you you know, this just sort of never, never having done anything, you know, sometimes getting into their mid twenties without ever hel- having held a job, um, yeah. you know, very little, uh, ambition or initiative or interest. And you can say, uh, probably not. It's, it's, it's going to be yeah. difficult for you, um, if, if possible at all. And, um, you know, so those, uh, Again, it's an important consideration because we, unfortunately, we do sometimes have those, you know, with, with all the goodwill in the world, these young men who come to us with that, that incapacity to deny themselves and it's just not going to work. All right. So that's, that's manliness. And, and like you said, that's not in specifically in the book of canon law. That's right. in the book of McFarland law, well, <laughs> but it's, it's good advice regardless. All right. Um, what's another qualification for a candidate to the priesthood father? Holiness is, is the next one. And I know what you're thinking. I know Father McFarland, and he's not holy. And uh, <laughs> so, what do we mean by holy? Um, so, before ordination, the candidate has to demonstrate a certain real holiness, which, especially habitually living in the state of grace, um, if you're, you know, continually falling into mortal sin, then you run the risk of, of uh, administering sacraments sacrilegiously, you know, putting jeopardizing your own soul and the souls of others. Um, and there should be some progress in virtue that was seen during the course of, of one's years at the seminary. Um, and before admission to the seminary, again, the, the standard is, is going to be lower, but there has to be that real will to, to pursue holiness. Um, what we're not talking about is, is merely external piety and especially not goofy or ostentatious piety. Which is another one of those things that that we see from time to time. You know, the the, the young guy who's who's got a crucifix that should be hanging on a wall um, on a rope around his neck. Um, you know, a, a, a knot of of medals of different saints this big. Um, you know, a very slow and deliberate sign of the cross, a genuflection that takes four minutes and involves kissing the floor. Um, always talking about the, the, you know, the pious things he's reading and the pious things he's doing. And that that's not holiness. That's weirdness. Um, 
projected into the realm of piety. So that's not what we're looking for. What we want, you know, normal. Um, Right. So I would say even if if a young man is only reading ever spiritual books and never has any interest outside of outside of piety, that you you want someone who is balanced, who can have a conversation with, you know, the faithful about, yeah, this is a book I'm reading. This is cool. This is what kind of music do you like? Right. Right. A, a priest has to have a certain general culture, and that's that's even right. from the the you know the writings of the popes on on training for the priesthood. It, you know, we we have to know what's going on in the world around us. We have to be able to talk about all kinds of different things. Be you know able to to carry ourselves into to uh, to conversations and situations with people of all different different walks of life to have that that adaptability, um, and so that you know uh, we're. That's much more what we're looking for. Adaptability is another thing that we could talk about, you know, all kinds sure. of different situations, different jobs, different places all around the world, et cetera. You got to be able to roll with things. Uh, and right. um, it's a, including the interruption of, of your cherished devotions. <laughs> so, right. you know, that's, uh, you know, yeah. holiness, as Father Faber says, holiness is a, is a spacious thing, right? It, it, it's it's able to to deal with all sorts of, uh, of different scenarios and people and, and, and so on. It, it's not a narrow, confined, all right, I have to leave this conversation now because it is the, the schedule of time for my spiritual reading. You know, it doesn't work. And, and adaptability is huge. You're transferred all the time, Father. And, and you know, Father Kurtz just found his first scorpion being transferred down to Phoenix. And, you know, he has to be okay <laughs> yeah. with that a little bit. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> relatively okay anyway. Um, yeah, exactly. You can still so count about, it to death with uh, a shoe. No, of course. So I was just talking with uh, with a young man recently who said, uh, to get to the next point, Father, who said, I couldn't be a priest. I There's no way I could. I'm not that smart. Every priest I know is super smart. I couldn't do it. Um, what about that? Do you have to be super intelligent to be a priest, Father? No. Obviously. Um but there does have to be there does have to be a certain uh, a certain degree of intelligence. One has to be able to 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 do the studies and to pass the the classes. Um, so we'd say of at least average intelligence and to have a certain capability in the classroom. Um, so you know, often there there are those people too who are who are smart in different ways, uh, but they don't have the that they're not able to function in that classroom environment. And it, that doesn't really work for the, uh, for those who want to, uh, to be priests for the religious. That's a totally different question. The, the studies are not, are not so demanding. Um, but for the priesthood that, that, uh, there has to be that, that basic ability. And then before ordination, the candidate has to have achieved a, a certain minimum knowledge, uh, in philosophy and theology, both dogmatic, dogmatic and moral. And, um, uh, and then he has to keep studying throughout his life. You know, has to keep learning, keep sure. uh, keep trying to to perfect his his knowledge as much as possible. Uh, so you know, and if if one is you know, of average intelligence, one can generally do the studies um, above average intelligence, certainly. Um, but for those who really struggle academically, uh, it's it's unlikely that they would be able to to uh, to complete the studies, which are which are demanding, certainly. Okay. What else? What is another characteristic or, or qualification, excuse me, of, of uh, entering the seminary or being a priest? Prudence. Uh, you know, the, the, the mission of the priest is to, to lead men to their goal. So he has to have that, you know, prudence for himself, which we all have to have to a certain degree. You know, prudence is that, that virtue that's by which we determine the best means for attaining our end. This will help me to get to heaven. This will not, etc. But the priest has to also be able to do that for other people. 
Um, so it's a, it's a different aspect of the virtue of prudence that not, not everybody has. And so he has to, to be able to direct others, um, guide them to their salvation by applying the principles in, in, in different situations. And it's, uh, you know, in the confessional, there's, there's a lot of that. You have the knowledge right from your classes, uh, at the seminary from your continued study, but then you have to say, okay, here and now is this a sin, right? Or is this just a temptation or, and, and, and so on. And. Uh, you know, in the, in theology, um, in theology studies at the seminary, you know, we have in moral theology in particular cases that were given where we have to apply the principles and very often for the exams there, the, the professors will do a, a mock confession, um, pretending to be a one pretending to be a penitent and the other observing, uh, to see how you do in, in applying those principles and as close to a real life situation as they can put you. Wow. That's I didn't know that that happened, but that makes all the sense in the world. You have to, you have to know how to deal with these situations in real life. Right. Right. And so, you know, if you, if the first time you're encountering it is the the first time you're getting into a confessional for real, that's, you know, that can be challenging. So you're already trying to be prepared for that by the, by the studies at the seminary. Uh, In addition to prudence, right intention is, is important. Um, You know, the reason for which one uh, enters a seminary and decides to pursue the priesthood and, and ultimately receives the priesthood. So worldly and self, selfish motives are obviously uh, not sufficient. Um, so if it's, if it's laziness, I can maybe I can find an easy life as a, as a priest or the desire to be admired or to have, you know, three meals a day provided for you and no living expenses, which is nice, but it's not a, you know, um, it's certainly not a reason for becoming a priest. And you do repeatedly at, at the seminary, every time you receive in more orders, you have to write a letter to the rector stating your intention right? um, and asking to, to be uh, accepted to receive the orders. Um, natural motives are also not sufficient. So things that are good in themselves, like, say, love of study or the desire to please one's parents, uh, those aren't bad things. And those can be there as well, but they're not sufficient motives. Um, there has to be a supernatural motivation. It doesn't have to be the absolute purest and best, but you know, even the desire to save my soul. I think I'll, I'd be more likely to save my soul as a priest. I would like to work for the salvation of other souls. I want to give the greatest possible glory to God. Um, I want the, the special graces that come with saying mass. Those, those are sufficient motives uh, for the priesthood because they are supernatural. They are concerned with, with God and the, the things of the soul. So traveling, traveling around the world to preach the gospel, good motive. Traveling around the world right. to see the world, not so great. Not yet. And, and that's, you know, we all like to do that, you know, to, sure. to, to travel and see things. And that's fine, but that's not enough. If the, if the right. if that desire to preach the gospel and to save souls is lacking, then that, that motive would be insufficient. Okay. And then the, you know, the, the last thing that's required is the, the famous divine call. Right. And that's it is uh, from um, uh, Holy Scripture from the from St. Paul's epistle of Hebrews. No one takes this honor to himself, that of the priesthood, but he that is called by God as Aaron was. So Aaron in the Old Testament was specifically designated by God. Um, and that's uh, the same for the priest. He has to be specifically designated. But that comes through the church's approval, as we, we've talked about before. Um at the at the ordination ceremony, when when one's name is called, one can be certain, right? Having gone through the studies, this, the seminary, having been examined, at that moment, God is certainly calling you. 
right? If you, you know, find some shady bishop on the internet and pay him a thousand bucks to ordain you, uh, that's different. And is that, is that really a divine call? Uh, not so much. And it's, it's the Council of Trent, if memory serves, that, that, uh, that says um, those, those are called um, by God um, who have been called by the church. So okay. um, that's, it's, again, it's not, a, it's not a particularly complicated or mysterious thing. Right. So those are, I guess we could say, the, the positive things that are necessary um, to, be, mm-hmm. to be ordained a priest or to be a candidate to the priesthood even. Um, what about things that you can't have or impediments? Right. So um, impediments and the impediments can, can vary. Some of them are, can be temporary. Uh, others are, can be dispensed. Others are permanent and cannot be dispensed or would uh, not be likely to be dispensed. In some cases, shouldn't be dispensed. Um, so illegitimate birth is an impediment if your parents were not married. Um, but that's fairly easily dispensed because it was an impediment uh, in past times when there was a real social stigma attached to illegitimate birth that could affect a priest's ministry and, and um uh, you know, calling into question his character, et cetera. Uh, physical. Can I, can I, I, I've heard this mentioned a couple of times. Sorry to interrupt you, father. I've had a couple people ask me, well, why it's not that person's fault that their parents right. committed this sin. Why, why did the church ever prohibit it? Because it, it, it reflected badly on the church in, in those past times. So now if it's a good candidate, we would, you know, get the dispensation without without hesitation because it's not the person's fault and again it doesn't have that social stigma anymore but at the time it really could prevent the 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 priest from being able to to work effectively for souls and could be something you know a, a stick used to beat the church to look at the sort of uh, of men they're ordaining and that kind of thing i see so this is actually probably one of those good examples of the church changing with the times in an appropriate right. way where right. we see this is not as bad as it used. Well, it's still bad, but it's not socially it's not, seen as bad. Right. As it used and to it's be. not it's not bad on the part of the candidate, you know, and that's the, right. it's not it's not his fault. And you know, we, uh, you know, I'm, I, I think of one priest that I know of who uh, who was an excellent candidate. Uh, he's, he's brilliant and and pious and so on. And his parents were never married and that's not his fault. And, uh, he now is, is able to do great work. Okay. Well, sorry to belabor that point. Uh, what else is, is on the impediments list, father? Uh, physical deformity or, or seriously poor health, right? Such that one would not be able to accomplish the priestly ministry. So if you're, if you're missing limbs, for example, um, you know, you need both hands to, to say mass, you need, um, at least these fingers, uh, to say mass. So, um, if you were missing those, it would be a serious problem. If one were blind right, for obviously reasons or deaf, uh, those would be serious obstacles that uh, generally would not be dispensed. Um, likewise, epilepsy because of the problem with, you know, having a seizure while saying mass, you know, could lead to disasters, spilling of the precious blood, dropping hosts, etc. Uh, mental illness. Again, I think it's fairly, for fairly obvious reasons and something that we're seeing quite a bit of these days, you know, there's mental health is, is, uh, suffering a lot in our modern society. Um, and so, uh, we do have to turn away candidates from time to time because of, uh, mental illnesses of one sort or another, you know, including depression, uh, bipolar, um, you know, things like that. Obviously anyone who's clearly insane, you know, <laughs> um, cannot be a priest. Um, but, uh, you know, it is there. Are, uh, 
you know, that's going to be an obstacle to their dealing with the faithful. They're maintaining the, the balance in their own personal and spiritual life. They're being ready to, to, uh, you know, to pick up and go at the, at the, uh, at the call of, of, of the superiors. Um, and if you're possessed by the devil, you also cannot become a priest. Yeah. Well, it takes me out of the running. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're well, also if you're, if you're married, that's, yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, also, what, what's called in canon law, infamy of law. So if you're a convicted felon, uh, that would have to be dispensed. And if you really, if you wanted to pursue it, there would be a, a long, hard look at, at what you did and how long ago it was and the sincerity of your conversion since then. Uh, anyone having committed homicide, right? That is what we call it in a reg, in a reg, an irregularity, which is, uh, uh, prevents one from being ordained. Um, and that includes participation in abortion. So there's a, there's an excommunication that goes along with participation in abortion, whether it's the doctor, um, or obviously we're not talking about the, the woman in case of the priesthood, but, um, someone who, you know, who assisted her, you know, took her to have the abortion, pushed her to have the abortion, uh, those kinds of things would, uh, would, um, be impediments to the to the priesthood that we are generally uh the authorities are are reluctant to dispense most because it is a it is a serious crime um also having mutilated oneself in a significant way you know you cut off parts of your body or like or if you attempted suicide yeah it's a question of 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 mental balance and so on um that can could gravely affect your your capacity to, to exercise the ministry um, or probably then, having a ton of like face tattoos or something or big piercings. Probably yeah, not yeah, possible. No. Right. No, no. I mean, if you could, if possible to have them removed, et cetera, you know, sure. but again, you know, there are things that we do that have permanent consequences. So, right. uh, and you're not a priest for yourself. So even sometimes you may be thinking, well, that's not fair that, you know, I have this deformity or I did this thing when I was a stupid teenager. And, uh, it's not a question of fairness. It's a question of, of fittingness for the, for the office that, uh, you know, cause you're doing it for, for the church and, and for souls and for our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, there are a couple of special considerations that for, for us in the SSPX, uh, now, um, and with our affiliated congregations as well. Um, and I, and even I presume in the, in the modern church, they're looking more at these things too. Uh, one of those things is, is homosexual attraction. Um, so if one suffers from that problem, the priesthood is, is not for him. Um, because you know, it, it would be, imagine someone, a priest trying to, to conduct his, his priesthood living in a house with women all the time, you know, it, it, it's just not going to work, right? There's, there are temptations and, and so on and, and the potential for, for, uh, for scandal or for falling into mortal sin. That's just, that's just right there, you know? So when you're a priest, uh, you're going to be around other men, you know, in those, uh, you know, fairly, um, you know, in a familial situation, um, mm -hmm. in the seminary, in, uh, in the priory. And so it, it, uh, it's, it's too much of a risk for the individual soul and, and too much of a potential for scandal. So, um, once again, you know, it's, that's not, that's not fair. No, it's not fair, but it's, it's what has to be done. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and so if 
one had kind of an awkward period in adolescence where there was some like weird attractions or something, but they were never acted upon and it passed by the time one reached adulthood. That wouldn't really be a problem. But if there is certainly if there's present um, homosexual attraction or um, past consummated sins of homosexuality, it's simply a disqualification. Um, And then along the same lines, again, something that we're seeing very frequently these days is pornography addiction. Um, and that is we, we can't admit men who are presently addicted to pornography into the seminary because it, it creates the following scenario, right? The seminarian arrives, he turns in his cell phone, right? To the, to the rector. He doesn't look at it all semester long. So he hasn't fallen into, into mortal sin. He goes on vacation and has his cell phone back, falls into mortal sin repeatedly, uh, makes a confession, but then comes back, you know, and, and, the next stretch, he's totally fine. On vacation again, falls into the sin, you know, and this pattern repeats. And then the spirits find themselves asking, you know, or his, his spiritual director at least finds himself asking if he's ordained, right? He's, he's, he's going to have a phone. He's going to have access to the internet. He's not going to be watched like he is at the seminary. Um, he's going to be falling into sin repeatedly right? and, and jeopardizing his soul. Um, and even, potentially the souls of, of his faithful. Uh, so one has to show that one can break the addiction prior to entering the seminary. And so we do ask at least a year um, of being out of those habitual uh, moral sins uh, of pornography um, and masturbation. Okay. So kind of an awkward topic, but definitely one that's necessary to point out, um, especially because of the prevalence of that these days with smartphones and everybody's got access to all the filth that the human race can come up with in his pocket. So sure. um, definitely a, 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 uh, a current and unpleasant problem. Uh, but that but is something that, you know, with uh, with God's grace and with hard work that that a great many people can overcome and, and live free from those things. And then and once you're you demonstrate the ability to do that, you could pursue the priesthood. Well, that's fascinating. I, I had known some of this stuff, but um, others I had no idea about. Um, so this is again, just a, just to recap, this is what it looks like if you are interested in becoming a priest. These are the kind of things that are necessary um, and we're going to talk more about, <clears throat> you know, what life at the seminary is like. We're going to talk more about, you know, some of the more specific aspects of this as we move forward in the series. But this gives us a good general introduction into the priesthood father. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Yeah. And it's I think it's important to keep in mind that it's not, you know, there's not a and some people will say this, you know, I'm, I'm not the priest type. And. Uh-huh. I mean, I know hundreds of priests and we're, we're all quite different. You know, there's there's a range of, of interests and backgrounds and abilities. And as long as, you know, you you have the, the the basic requirements and the absence of impediments and the right intention, right, that will to do it for for a supernatural reason, then then by all means, pursue it. You know, d- don't think that you have to necessarily be in love with studying or or have this this intense feeling of, uh, of fervor every time you pray. Or I mean, most of us don't have that. It's, it's a decision to, yeah. to to do something good for God and for souls um, and saying, OK, it's worth doing. Then the next question is, can I do it? Right. I have the basic requirements. I don't have any of the impediments. 
And then it's making the decision, all right, I am going to do it. And it's really as simple as that on the part of the candidate. And then the seminary professors, the seminary rector and the the superiors in general um, assess the candidate. And if, if he has what's necessary, he will be called to ordination. And, and I'll just hop on that as well, Father, and say that the church needs all different types of, of priests. We need the studious types who are you know teaching at the seminary right now. I'm thinking like Father Wiseman, very smart, very intelligent, very, you know, he's perfect for what he's doing. And then you have the priests who are more active and love the sports. You know, they can run boys camps and do that sort of thing. We need all different types. Right. And even, you know, things that you don't necessarily think of, you know, there's some priests who are they're just really good with, with the elderly, right? With the sick and the dying, they have, sure. they have a gift for that. But, but, you know, for something like public speaking, I, I mean, that's I, naturally I'm inclined to that. So, you know, the, all different kinds of, uh, of things can, you know, talents and abilities and so on can, can find a use in, uh, in the priesthood. God, uh, you know, is always full of surprises and we, we find we're, you know, using talents and abilities we didn't think that we'd be exercising in the priesthood. Certainly. Well, Father, looking forward to the next episode. Thank you for your time. My pleasure, Andrew. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the SSPX Podcast. You can find all our previous series and episodes on sspxpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to and rate this podcast on whatever podcast app you use and on YouTube. This helps more people to discover the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism. And if you're able, we'd greatly appreciate your support of a one-time or a monthly recurring donation for these projects. All that information is at sspxpodcast.com. Until next time, thank you for listening and God bless you.